The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Have you given much thought to what you're going to do when you're done at the current place where you're working or the business that you own now? What's the exit plan and what are you going to do with your money? How are you going to replace your current income? To answer that question... Lance Edwards. Lance, thanks for being on the show. Yo, it's my pleasure. Absolutely great to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, listen, so you're uh, you're pretty well known in Houston as a guy who uh, is expert in small apartment buildings. Uh, you know, I know you own a whole bunch and you teach other people how to own a whole bunch. And real estate is really taking care of a lot of people in this country. So how are you contributing? That is a great point. You know, I will share with you, my story is probably very similar to a lot of people that uh, your listeners 20 years in corporate world, doing that gig, very good at it. And uh, at some point I got to wondering, you know, what happens if this thing folds up? What's my options? How am I going to get out of here? And so I got involved with real estate, but I took a track that's different than a lot of people get involved in real estate. A lot of people start with a single family world, Joel, buying houses, rental houses, fixes and flip them. And I went straight into apartments, particularly small apartments. And that's the track that made all the difference for me. And within three years, I was out at my corporate gig and out doing real estate full time. And uh, I've been teaching that for over a dozen years now. So, you know, what I see as my mission these days is showing everyday people how they can replace their job income in small apartments in a niche that they probably don't even realize they're qualified to get started in right now because they're, they're all asking, how am I going to do this? I don't have the resources. And you're, boy, you're an expert at uh, talking to people how to raise money, especially on large properties. Well, my, my approach to it is I say, listen, once you start small and small apartments and then scale up where it really comes into your level of expertise. So that's what my mission these days is showing everyday people how they can replace their job income with small apartments. So what is a small apartment? How small is small? What does that mean? So, you know, the definition we put on is two to a hundred doors, two to a hundred unit buildings. Most of my people will start off two to 30 units. 
but you're generally dealing with mom and pop owners. It's not the larger properties where you've got institutional owners, hedge fund owners. It's, you know, let's, let's call it two to hundred unit building. Listen, I don't think 30, 40, 50, 100 is too small. I mean, I think that's uh, that starts to be a pretty uh, powerful investment. So give us a sense. What's the path that somebody would take to get into this business? What do they need to know starting early? And, and what happens? Kind of what's their track? You know, it's a great question, Joel. And there's a lot of advantages to small apartments. And I'll use you know, a conversation to outline a number of these. But what, is, what attracted me into it was, first of all, I could do this on a part-time basis. I don't need to actually see these properties to make offers on them. It's all based upon math, very simple math, net operating income and cap rates. It's, it's very simple to learn. I just got to know the financials. It's no different than evaluating a business. Apartments are simply businesses. So we, we can evaluate them all over the country by looking at the financials. I can make offers sight unseen. And then I have different exit strategies in terms of once I get a contract on a property, I have a choice. I can either go buy it using other people's money. Or I can take that contract and sell it, wholesale it to someone else for nice five and six figure chunks of change and generate chunks of cash. And that had really attracted me in the part-time nature of it. And so, you know, the overall strategy that I teach people who come to small apartments is, you know, think of it like this, flip one, flip one, flip one, hold one. You'll create deal flow, get propped on a contract. You'll flip the ones you don't want to keep, get chunks of cash, cherry pick the ones you want to keep get that passive income, that mailbox money coming in. And then you create options, financial options for yourself. Like I can either keep doing my job or not doing my job, but now you have options. And so, you know, at 30,000 foot, that's the strategy of how anybody can quickly replace their job income or at least give themselves financial options. Is this the kind of thing that somebody starts working on after they quit or they do it five years before they quit? I mean, or retire? I mean, when does this process start? It's a great question. Here's what you don't do. You don't quit whatever your, your primary income source is right now and say, okay, I decide I'm going to do apartments and, you know, I'm, I just trust it's going to work for me. You know? So what I recommend is, and what I did and most of my clients do is they start doing the apartments on the side on a part-time basis with, in addition to whatever they're doing you know, pays the bills today. And then as that income stream rises, now they got, they have a choice. I can give up what I'm doing now, or I can just do more of this, but start off in parallel with whatever you're doing right now. And it's, it's a part-time gig. And the other thing I will say about it, one of my talents is being able to systematize business systems. And I've kind of been known as a guy to systematize the small apartment industry. Much of this can be done by other people. So it doesn't even necessarily take a lot of time to get started. When you talk about it doesn't take a lot of time, it's part-time. I mean, look, looking for deals, uh, you know, I mean, I'm in the deal business. Uh, I mean, looking for deals takes some time and you got to kiss a bunch of frogs, so to speak, you know? So yep. how much time does it take or what, what are people with their, their experience? Okay. I will share it this way. It's absolutely about the deal flow. Just like yours point out, deal flow. Three primary ways we teach to get deal flow is one is websites, but that's the least qualified. There's brokers you can talk to and there's direct mail. And you get involved with brokers, you have to have time to talking to brokers, but it doesn't have to be your time. There's actually wage, I actually use analysts that run my business. They talk to my brokers for me. Direct mail, you can send out letters and postcards. Now you got apartment owners who are calling you back who've actually raised their hand to say, listen, I am interested in selling, but it doesn't have to be you taking those phone calls. It's certainly not going to be you sending out the letters and direct mail. All of that can be systematized. All of that can be outsourced. So that basically it's being screened down for you. So you're dealing 
with those owner prospects that are raise their hand saying, yeah, I'm interested in selling. And we've taken a step further. The ones who say, yes, I'm interested in selling to you on, and I'll talk about owner financing. And so that's the systemization part of the business. So you can do it in five, 10 hours per week, or even less than that. You got really got it outsourced properly. You know, one of the things that, that is, is kind of happened in the last several years, uh, you know, all these different meetup groups, you know, there's meetups all over the country. Do, um, yep. do these meetups produce any deals? I mean, do you know any guys getting deals from these? I mean, I've been to many of these meetups and some of them are pretty active. You know, I, tell you the truth, I, uh, I don't go to a lot of the meetups. I don't go to a lot of meetups. So I really couldn't answer that. I, I will tell you when it comes to small apartments, uh, the best source of deal flow for us is direct mail. We're sending little direct mail pieces to owners in markets all over the country. It gives me off-market deals. 95% of the times, these properties are not even for sale. The owner has been thinking about selling it, and he gets my little direct mail piece, and we get the call first. And, uh, and also, the advantage is being off-market, we also get the most creative deals negotiated as well, creative meaning owner financing, uh, everything from a little, you know, some, some money down to very little money down. We can negotiate, but you know, most favorite interest rates, it's, you get on the phone with an owner directly and you get the most creative deals being done. But, um, that's really my secret weapon is, is the direct mail. You know, I, I would imagine that a lot of these people, if they're not sophisticated about real estate, they own a small building, you know, whatever it is, they're not talking to brokers. It's not listed. They probably, uh, are not real sophisticated about their pricing, about their values. Uh, you know, they, they probably, uh, and they're probably kind of just wanting to get it over with. Maybe they inherited the building and they just want to get it over with and, and hurry, hurry, hurry. Uh, is that your experience? That's absolutely. Because again, remember I'm talking about in the small apartment space, these are mom and pop investors. Here's a classic profile. They, uh, it, well, it could have been, they bought this property years ago. They've been self-managing it themselves for years, which, by the way, is a cardinal sin. And I will tell you right now, never, never, never self-manage these buildings. But the number one reason people are selling to us is because they're burned out from self-managing this. And, and what they're, the reason they want to get out, either, it comes down to two things. Either they want stress relief or they want debt relief. Either way, they're not very sophisticated. They just want out. Uh, and I'll also tell you in the world of small apartments, seller financing is actually very common. And so uh, we basically make them some down payment and then monthly payments to them over time. Uh, but it's a, it's a great niche because again, no competition. You're talking to them directly. I get the most creative deals I can do. And we're really doing deals, Joel, all over the country, uh, just picking the markets and doing these deals. And then we facilitate it for our, for our student clients as well. You know, one of the things that um, you got to remember is that uh, they're getting some rental income from these people and, and then they sell the building, and they get a clump of cash, but then that revenue stops and they don't have anywhere good to put the money next time. So in a certain way, they'd rather take a, uh, a little money down deal and a, and a seller carry back option where they're going to continue to get payments because they want the monthly payments, right? Isn't that, I mean, that's what it seems like to me. You're spot on. You're spot on, Joel. They've been, they've been, they've been used to getting the monthly payments for years and uh, they like that. They've gotten used to that and they have a choice. They can either get a lump sum payment by pay, you know, cash them out. But now you got also got a tax bill due in that tax year for the whole lump sum, or they can continue getting monthly payments 
and spread out their taxes, but keep getting that monthly passive income. But now they're not even involved with the building anymore. That's why it's such a natural transition to take a small apartment owner to move into seller financing. I'm giving the same thing you have now. It's just you don't deal with the property anymore. And we're not going to deal with it either because we're going to hire professional management companies. Uh, but it's a very, very easy transition over to seller finance. So, do, so who, are, who are the people that are doing this? Are, are you finding, are they corporate executives that are getting ready to retire? Are they blue collar workers that just are really fastidious about saving? I mean, who, who are you seeing do this? You know, I'll tell you, it's come, there's different categories of people. For me, I was, the, I call it the corporate refugee. The 20 year corporate guy, <laughs> just wanted to have an exit plan, right? You know, and and the, and the by the way, the company was laying off people, and I didn't want to get caught up in one of those waves. So I started looking for a source. So I'm the corporate refugee type. Then the other group you have is people that are more small business owners. It's the chiropractor, it's the the plumber, it's the window contractor. They have their own business, and and yet what they're what's on their mind? They're probably 40s or 50s. They've got kids either going to college or getting ready to go to college or they're nearing their own retirement. And what's on their mind is, Hey, what am I going to do? Because I don't really own a business. I own a job and I need to have an exit strategy. And so those are a client mix of ours as well. They, they're, they're solopreneurs and they're looking for that exit strategy. And I'd say there's probably a third category is in the general list is people who are maybe doing single family, uh, or learning about single family have been in there long enough to find you know, discover, Hey, this is, this is a lot of work, a lot of competition. And they, they move up into small apartments. So I, I put them in one of those three categories. You know, I like that second bucket a lot. The one where the, uh, the person that doesn't have a sellable business recognizes that they really need to put a bunch of money aside. And so it kind of converts a non sellable business into a long-term revenue stream. Just by cash flow. Yeah, let me add this because that's a big problem for people right now because they don't have a sellable asset. They they say they have a business, but they really don't. They have a job because they can't sell it to someone else. It does produce great cash flow for them. So what's their exit strategy? Well, here's an exit strategy. Take that cash flow and put it into assets that will generate passive income without your active involvement. And that's a big group that we talked to. Matter of fact, I'll share with you, I was interviewing a, a student client of mine one time. He bought his first apartment building, actually bought it with his 18-year-old son. And when I interviewed him afterwards, he said this to me, it really struck me. He owned a small construction company. He built Murphy beds. He was installed Murphy beds. They still make Murphy beds. He put them into apartments, hotels. He said he was 45 years old. He said, Lance, you know, before I met you, my idea of a retirement plan was me dropping dead on a job site. And so he says, but now I see there's a way out of this and he moved into the apartment sector. So you're spot on, Joel, is people have a lot of they have great cash flow coming out of their self-employment gig. But if they're not actually working that self-employment gig, that great cash flow is just going to evaporate. So let's talk about some of these corporate people, these uh, leadership people. They can be senior managers. They can be middle managers inside corporate environments. They've got 401ks. Well, those 401ks are typically invested in some kind of a smorgasbord of, of stocks and different things. Uh, they don't have a lot of flexibility. When they leave their job, that uh, 401k unlocks and they can do with it what they want to. Do you be involved in that at all and in, in self-directing those oh, assets? Oh, gosh, absolutely. This is a huge one. This what, is a huge one. Taking that four- my, let's give some insight about what happens when you quit your job, what happens to your 401k, because it's one of the most magical things that, that happens in America. 
Yeah. Okay. So th- there's my situation. All right. So at a 401k donating to for 20 years, I leave the company. It now goes into a rollover IRA. It rolls over into an IRA that I can select and I could put it into Fidelity or one of the broker's houses and invest it in investment funds, or I could declare it self-directed into a third-party custodial company where now I can direct what assets I put my IRA money into. And those assets the IRS allows includes real estate. So you can take this chunk of money that you have and self-direct it into real estate projects and earn either a tax deferred or a tax-free return, depending upon what kind of IRA you have. And this is a fabulous thing. When you start looking at the numbers on apartment buildings and how you can you know, buy one apartment building, fix it up, and then sell it and then trade up into a larger apartment building, you can take you know, a modest sum of money, even little bits of money, and rapidly grow it because it's rapid because the government's not taking a bite out of it on every transaction. And it, this is a huge area. A lot of people aren't even aware of when they're coming out of you know, the corporate no, this, world. I, I want to I summarize this because this is one of those things that very few people understand. And it's, it is magical, but very few people understand it. Um, your 401k, when you quit, unlocks. Now, it doesn't automatically turn into an IRA. It can stay as a 401k. And if you go get another job, you can move it to the next company. But I don't know why you would do that. What you'd rather do is move it into an IRA and you, you define that as a self-directed IRA. And if you don't know how to do that, you know, be in touch and we'll tell you more about how to do that. But you move it into a self-directed IRA, then you can put that into anything that you want, not just the uh, smorgasbord of low yielding stocks that they're probably putting you in now. Understand, right. here's the thing, and this, this is important, Lance, and you'll get this. The company doesn't have a real big incentive to give you a real big payout on your uh, 401k because if they take any risk and something goes wrong, they're responsible. So they'd rather just put you in the cruddiest little thing that has the lowest risk they can, <laughs> right or wrong. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Matter, matter of fact, I'll tell you a story. When I took mine out, you know, I was learning this along the process, my 401k, I put a rollover IRA, I put it into Fidelity where I had some other accounts and brokerage accounts and it was a self-directed IRA in Fidelity. And I was learning about real estate. I'd learned about and I, and I asked my Fidelity guy, I said, listen, can I use my self-directed IRA at Fidelity to invest in real estate? And he said to me, no, you can't. I said, wait a minute. I know for a fact that I can invest my self-directed IRA in real estate. He said, <coughs> well, what I meant to say is I don't have any real estate product to sell you. Yes, you can invest it in real estate. So I had to pull it out of Fidelity and put it into an independent uh, custodial account who had nothing to sell me, now I can invest in real estate and any number of options the IRS gives me. Uh, tax-free. We do it with a Roth. Tax-deferred, not tax-free. If you move it into a Roth, it's now tax-free. Right. But you'll pay the tax going into the Roth. Yeah, right. So there's tax one way or the other. It's either tax now or tax-deferred later. But anyway, so... Correct, correct. Uh, correct. The, uh, right, the, the thing is that most of the advice that you get it's not exactly independent advice. When a Fidelity guy tells you that they don't have anything for you to put it into, that's real estate because Fidelity sells stocks. I mean, that's their business, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. That's what they sell. So if you want anything outside of that, you need to go to a third party that does not have an interest in that sort of thing. And then if a friend of yours next door is building a restaurant, you want to be a partner in the restaurant, you can use your IRA to be in a restaurant. You can buy an apartment building. Like Lance says, you can invest in a hedge fund. Uh, you can do all kinds of things. 
Uh, now, I wouldn't put all your money in any one certain place. And you want to get some advice from somebody, some financial planner to help you to figure out what to put where. But uh, the purpose of this discussion is just to show you that there are some options. This is not advice, by the way. So be very careful. Let's talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. But there are a lot of options that people in corporate America don't really learn about because it's not in the corporation's interest necessarily to share this information. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, you are spot on, Joel. This is why it's important that you know people are listening to you and other experts because we aren't taught this stuff in school. And, and they, didn't teach, they didn't teach me about IRAs in school. They didn't teach me about it in the corporate world. I learned it outside <laughs> of those conventional grounds. And by the way, they spent my entire you know, early years all the way through college teaching me to go this traditional conventional route and get the job. What I had to learn about really making money was done outside of all those conventional rounds and learning from people who's out there doing it. Well, it's, yourself. it's important to understand that uh, a job and making money are not mutually exclusive. You can make your money in your job and then you can take some money outside of your job and put it into uh, assets that will take care of your family and be for your kids or whatever you want to do with the money. So do the best you can at your job, uh, run your company the best you can, but also take care of your family as best you can. And that might require some extra curricular activities, uh, which is why uh, I brought you on here, Lance, is to talk about things that would help educate people about what they can do with their assets to prepare for their retirement better or, or whatever it is, and to make them uh, job proof. Let me add a comment to that. I've learned this the hard way, Joel. You know, and I, I imagine this is probably the same advice many people, most people listening right now have heard. When I was growing up, they told me, Lance, go to school, get a good grade, and get a good job, graduate, and then when you start this job, and then when you start this job, they basically said, here's your plan to retirement. You've been the next 40 years working here, take some of your money, put it in this 401k, after 40 years, if you're still alive, by the way, you can uh, live off the interest. Well, and that was a model I was on for 20 years until I learned a different model. Hey, tell you what, how about this? How about if we go acquire apartment assets that are generating passive income? And by the way, we're going to buy them using other people's money. So there's no limitation us getting started. Let's go buy assets to produce passive income. Instead of taking 40 years, let's take 40 months to have the same amount of income coming in. And now we have even more choices. And so, you know, I, I believe my job is to show people the 40 month plan as opposed to the 40, 40 year plan. Let me tell you something. That's a pretty good thing to be associated with is to be the 40 month guy. <laughs> instead of the 40 year guy, you know, I, I will say though, just thinking, listening to you, the retirement marketplace has changed a lot. You know, 75 years ago, you'd put your money in and they would promise you a certain payout. That was like social security and pensions those were called uh, defined benefit plans where your benefit would be well-known. You'd put in a certain amount of money and then they would pay you a certain amount. And companies started realizing this is a really bad deal for us. So they converted them into these 401ks in the seventies. And they said, tell you what, now you can save as much as you want. Uh, you know, you can put all this money in and whatever you have, you have whatever is left over is yours. And it's really not the company's problem because one of the big problems that companies like GM and these other giant companies have are these legacy pension costs from them putting money into their, into their pensions. And so the retirement thing has really changed. And I imagine Lance, what we are talking about is sort of forward looking because it went from defined uh, benefit to defined contribution. And now, uh, you know, you're saying taking defined contribution to another level saying you better take care of yourself because uh, the companies, you can't, the companies don't want to do that for us. And that's not a criticism of companies. That's just, 
look what happened to these older companies. They can't compete if they have to take care of workers that don't work there anymore. Right. So in order for companies well, to be successful, the companies kind of need you to, they need you to be successful. They should be offering seminars, Lance, where you teach their people how to take care of themselves. Well, I love that. I, actually, I love that notion. Well, as I'm sitting here thinking, that's what should happen because the companies need their people to be self-reliant. They can't take care of people uh, entirely. That's a great, I mean, I'm serious because they put the burden on the individual who's ill-prepared, by the way, the employee. What did I know about investing in the stock market when they said, okay, you pick the 401k choices. All right, I'll take this, this, and this. And by the way, modest returns you're going to get. You compare it to an apartment building and you look at the return on an apartment building, which is certainly double digit, but get into mid double digits on a simple transaction, even a small building. This is annual returns, double digits, middle level. So your point going back to, we got to go learn this on our own and because no one else has really shown it to us. And it, it comes out through listening to, you know, people like you and some you know, people listening to me. I'm, I'm really kind of sitting here thinking, is this pro employee? Is this pro company? And I'm really sort of thinking, both are really uh, well served by what we're talking about here. It's in the company's interest for the employee to take care of themselves because the company cannot afford to do it. We live in a world where things are moving fast. I mean, the inside track on business is moving fast. Every trend says you got to be moving fast. Well, in order for companies to help uh, to move fast, they have to sort of be free of the burden that their employees put on them over the last many decades. And if we can help people to be more self-sufficient, then the company can be more light on its feet and get more accomplished. So it really is in everyone's interest. I think you should be, you know, making this uh, point to lots of different people. Like, uh, you know, let the secret out of the bag, man. Start sharing yeah. a little bit. Well, I, mean, I, think, I think you're spot on because, you know, the, I guess the less the person, you know, that employee is worried about, Financially, the more productive they should be in work, if they will hang around for work, that that would be the thing. Because many well, are then, to then, the, then the company better. then the company has to make the job interesting, and it has to create a good environment, which is good for the company too. So it's in everybody's interest to create a good working environment where they're stimulating their employees. The employees know that they're uh, financially self sufficient because they're going to be taken care of through the company and through their own means. I mean, everybody's better off when people are well taken care of. Agreed. It's a very interesting suggestion. Very, very interesting. And of course, that'd be good for my training business too and everything we're doing. So if somebody wants to get started, uh, where do they get started? If they're interested in this discussion, where do they go? What do they do? First of all, you got to get educated. You got to get educated about apartments. It's not a difficult business, but it's not something you want to go out and let the street teach you how to do and how to do it all the wrong way. So you need to get educated on what makes a good deal? How do you find these deals? How do you raise the money? Which is certainly a topic. Uh, my area of raising money is a little bit different than yours. Is that where you're talking about the large deals and, and syndicating large groups of investors? When you start in small, you're talking about one investor, maybe two, which, by the way, may come out of your workplace because somebody you know who got some spare cash. But it's you know very simple friends and family type relationships. But you, you learn how to do that. Of course, you learn how to choose the best management companies because I don't want anybody self-managing these properties. And from there, you, you get your first deal done. I'll tell you right now, for most people, the scariest deal is going to be your first deal because it's brand new. We're not taught this stuff. But I'm telling you, it was for me, I was terrified going into that first deal. Once you close on your first deal, it's like a nanosecond later, 
your brain's going to say, let's do another deal. Let's do a bigger deal. And then you start, you know, this size goes this size and bigger. And pretty soon, you know, now in a few short deals, uh, Joel, you know this, now they're coming to you about wanting to syndicate because they've got, they've, they've learned the ropes and they want to, you know, and by the way, the process of doing a small apartment is virtually identical to the process of doing a large apartment. Uh, it's just extra zeros on the large. So why not get to that as fast as we can? You know, you were starting to talk about uh, don't self-manage. What do you recommend for management? For management companies, um, you're looking for a management company. Now, let me tell you what you're not looking for. You don't want, when I say a management company, some single person who's a real estate agent doing management on the side. You don't want that. You want a management company. They've got staff and processes in place. They probably manage three or four or 500 doors for multiple owners. This is what they do. They focus on managing multifamily assets. And you're going to, you know, you find them and there's a list of interview questions. And I'll tell you right now, the most important thing you want to ask about any management company candidate is this, what is your approach to marketing? So it's like, it's like any business, Joel, you know, if we don't have new leads coming in, if we don't have customers coming in, if we don't have that coming in, our business is going to starve to death. Well, in case of apartments, these are our businesses. Our marketing is to attract residents, keeping the properties full. You know, cash flow comes with occupancy. Equity comes with occupancy. And so we want to choose these management companies that really understand how to market and, and fill these properties up. Hey, let, me, let me ask you your opinion philosophically. Um, a AAA apartment building has higher rents, good neighborhood, uh, really sharp. Everything is uh, maintenance-wise, just perfect. Some people run their buildings AAA. There are other people that are just slumlords and they just treat their thing like a cash cow. They just suck the money out of them. Uh, lots of deferred maintenance. Uh, and, and ultimately, the city will come in and, and cause all kinds of problems. And you don't want to do that. But, but, you know, there's a wide range of how people run their properties. What's the most profitable way for somebody to run an apartment building? Is it, is it to be closer to AAA or closer to the edge of not recycling the cash back into the property? Just keep the money. Well, great question. Let me, and let me put it this way. There's actually, you're mentioning AAA. So there's, there's four classes of property, A, B, C, and D, and AAA is you know, the high end of the A's. A is your new, pretty stuff, nice parts of town, pretty properties, pretty areas. D, down at the bottom, is your war zone stuff. And I, don't mess with the war zone. And most of the people that are you know, coming in to get involved, they're probably buying into the B and C spaces because most people are buying for cash flow. Now, that's not the only strategy there is. Certainly out, in, certainly out in where you live in Los Angeles, people aren't buying for cash flow. They're buying for the appreciation value. But most of the people that are starting with me, they want to be able to make sure the property is paying for itself. They're not having to feed it every month. They're paying for themselves. So they're dealing with B and C classes. All B and C means a different income demographics for the residents. And B properties are going to give you a nice mix of appreciation and cash flow. A C property is going to give you more cash flow than appreciation. And so each investor needs to decide what they're looking for. However, having said that, coming back to the question, Joel, is you still have to operate the property and maintain it. You can't, you can't allow what you mentioned, deferred maintenance, which is simply you know, keep the roofs up to date, keep the place painted, replace the rotted wood. You've got to operate it properly um, and, and take good care of your residents. I call them residents, not tenants, because I want to keep them coming. I want to keep them renewing. So whether you go A, B, or C in your investment selection is really going to come down to, are you more interested 
at the A side of buying properties that are going to make your return on appreciation, very little cash flow, or are you more towards the C side where I want more cash flow, less appreciation? And that, that comes down to each individual investor. Would you, would you explain why C properties have more cash flow and A properties have more appreciation, kind of what the mathematics of the investment is? Sure. And this is a great question. It's very insightful. A lot of people don't even realize, appreciate this. So we got A properties with real pretty stuff and C's, which is the low to moderate income. There's two ways you make a return on a piece of real estate. Number one is appreciation. Number two is cash flow. So you got appreciation and cash flow. The A assets, the real pretty stuff and the nice parts of town. People are buying there because of location. An investor will buy that building on the expectation that land values are going to go up over time. So they will pay a much higher price per door for that A-class asset because they know they're going to make their money on the back end. They don't expect to get them in cash flow. They make money on the back end. So they're paying a higher price per door. C-class, which is in low to moderate income, these are the older parts of town, this is not a lot of appreciation. There's not a lot of market appreciation going on here. So the investors pay a lower price per door for a class C asset because they expect to get all their, most of the return from cash flow. They'll get some appreciation, but most from cash flow. It's because of those two different locations. That's why people go A versus C because the return is split between cash flow and appreciation. Okay. Well, so listen, so people have to figure out what works for them. I mean, I've always thought of real estate like a bond that, you know, a bond, you clip off the coupon, you go get the money. But the advantage that real estate has is that real estate goes up in value. Bonds ultimately just tap out at whatever the cost of the bond is. So, uh, you know, if you think about real estate like a bond and every month people are paying your rent, that's the same as the interest payment on a bond. Uh, that's kind of a really good way to think about that in a parallel. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. But I, it's absolutely correct. And I would add to it, Joel, there's a couple other advantages in real estate. And a big one is uh, the depreciation tax benefit. The IRS allows us to take a paper loss and depreciate it. Now, here's an important aspect of it. If you're passive at it, you're not very actively doing this, the IRS is going to cap how much that depreciation loss you can take. However, if you declare yourself a real estate professional, which means you're involved 750 hours per year, that's part-time, 15 hours per week, you can take all of that depreciation credit on your tax return. And you can talk to your CPA, but that you own enough real estate and you declare yourself a real estate professional, you can actually wipe out your taxes on your active income because you're, you're offsetting with a paper loss. So there's this huge appreciation tax benefit. The other benefit outside of a different from a bond on your, when you buy this real estate, you bought it with financing every month, the debt's being paid down. Actually, your residents are paying it down through the rent. So you're building up your equity every month just by the fact that you're owning it. Even without appreciation, your equity is going up because you're paying down that mortgage. And you combine all those areas together. That's how you get very high annual returns by all the combination of, of benefits and, and return you get through apartment buildings. Those are awesome. So got a lot of leverage. Uh, real estate is a protected class for tax purposes because it's such an important uh, industry in the United States all the way around. It's uh, this is awesome. Well, this we go on for a long time, but I know you've got a lot of resources. You help people learn a lot of this kind of stuff. Do you have any resources that you could provide to any of our listeners? Certainly, Joel. I, um, I have a book. It's called uh, How to Make Big Money in Small Apartments. Uh, best-selling book on Amazon. You can buy it there, but, but actually I've got a, a gift for your listeners. I'll give you a book for free. It explains what I'm talking about in small apartments, how to get started, how you evaluate them. 
And uh, the website you can go to and get the book for free and some other training resources that go along with it. All I ask is for a few bucks shipping and handling. I think it's $6 shipping and handling. But if you go to freeapartmentsbook.com, freeapartmentsbook.com, you can get the, the book for free. And we'll give you shipping and handling. We'll send it to you right away. That's awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll make sure and put that in the show notes so people can, you know, make sure that they get it just right. But this has been a really interesting discussion. I think that some of our corporate people, some of our entrepreneurial people, I think they need to really think hard about how they're handling their money and what they're doing. And maybe there are some alternatives that they're not thinking about. And a big part of the reason why I like the diversity of, of the kind of guests, someone like yourself is, you know, you're bringing ideas and giving the inside track on, on how to move money in a way that people may not be thinking. And that's, listen, our whole show is profit from the inside, which is, the inside insights, the inside uh, knowledge that we all have. And uh, you certainly bring a lot of inside track about apartments and, and managing money. So Lance, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, Joel, it's my pleasure. Thank you for that insightful question. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, listen, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch and I appreciate you uh, being on the show. My pleasure. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, Visit joelblock.com. Shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.